Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Those who are going to Little Worship can be dismissed at this time. And if you're staying in here with us, I invite you to open your Bibles or just stay there in your bulletin, Luke 11, verses 1 through 4. So this morning, we are uh, seeing that Jesus is ending his, his teaching on prayer by reminding us that to pray like a Christian uh, is one, to know that we have very real enemies. As we've, we've heard it a couple times this morning, the world, the flesh, Satan, that Satan is a prowling lion seeking someone to devour. And to pray like a Christian is to pray to our good, good Father for protection and deliverance when we are tempted and tried. And so with that, let's go to God's Word one more time and hear Jesus' timeless uh, teaching this morning. So Luke 11, 1 through 4, this is God's Word. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when Jesus finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. This is God's word. Let's pray once again. Father, may this next little time here um, be food for our souls. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would forgive. I'm asking you would forgive the one who teaches his sins, for they are many. Um, so, Lord, please get me out of the way uh, so that your word could go forth. Uh, Lord, speak. Speak to our hearts. Uh, Lord, here's where we are. Uh, plant this deep in our hearts. We ask this in Christ. Amen. Uh, so this is very straightforward, right? I mean, it's literally five words, right? Lead us not to temptation. But unfortunately, we have centuries of really bad theology, and we live in a culture that, to be honest, thinks this is a joke. And so in order for this to pop like it would have in Jesus' day, for the original hearers, we've got to deconstruct some false ideas that we may have today. And so first, this is just to believers, there can be this thought that once you become a Christian, then we're on easy street finally, right? That all those temptations and sins that plagued us back when we were heathens like, will magically be gone, right? Well, I hate to break it to you, but that is just not true. Yes, the power of that sin in your life may be gone, but the presence, sin's presence is still around. And, and look, I'm guilty of this next one. There's also this thought that as you get older, that these temptations will kind of go away, and one day we'll arrive, right? Um, but as I've found, and as I've found from talking to others of you here uh, who are further down the road, um, those same old temptations, though sometimes maybe in new disguises, are still there. And they may morph a little bit, but they're still there nipping at our heels trying to bring us down. Alistair Begg told us a great story of a uh, Scottish Christian asking his minister, Alexander White, when would he be able to get from that battleground of Romans 7 into Romans 8? 
And if you remember, Romans 7 is where Paul talks about it's that conundrum. We find it like the good that I want to do, I don't do. And the bad that I don't want to do is the very thing that I end up doing. And then he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of, of death or deliver me? And then, of course, Romans 8 picks up with the answer is Jesus. It starts with, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so the Scottish Christian asks, when, look, when will I get from the battleground of Romans 7 and live solely in the victory of Romans 8? And Alexander White looked at him and very candidly said, as long as you are a member of my congregation, you will never get out of chapter 7. And what he meant was, temptation is a reality that we will not completely be rid of until we've died and passed to glory. So be careful how you pray, Lord, free me from temptation, okay? Um, so Westminster Church family, when will you be totally free from temptation? The answer is, well, as long as you're a member of this church, unfortunately, and on this side of glory, you won't be. And so scripture teaches that the life of a Christian, that the life of following the Jesus way is one of continual war. It's a very real spiritual battle. And, and did you hear what Corley read this morning? He said, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? That, that's warfare language, right? Which means when you wake up and you get ready to do whatever it is that you're going to do tomorrow morning, um, you may be going out to do your schedule but as much as you do, you are also waking up and going out into battle every day. And so are you prepared for that? Or, or maybe a better first question should be, are you even aware of that? Um, aware that we have a very real enemy. You know, uh, the, that though this is our father's world, we sing it, right? Uh, until Jesus returns, the prince of this world is Satan. And so we go out every day into that world, and, and we consume media every day, entertainment every day in a world that is filled with Satan's landmines, and Satan's suicide bombers aimed straight at our hearts, and that's why Paul said in Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, what do you say, that you may be able to name it and claim it and rise above? No, he said, you put on that full armor every single day so that you can just stand, so that you can stand against the schemes of the evil one. So our temptation is a, is a present reality. We have a very real enemy. This fallen world, our fallen flesh, the devil. Okay, second, and this is to maybe non-believers who are in here, maybe even skeptics who may be here or maybe just listening at some point in the future. Though it is, it, look, it's impossible to deny the fact that evil exists, right? Anybody can look out in the world and be like, there's evil here. Yet at the same time, it can be very easy to be skeptical about this idea of spiritual warfare. It, it, it seems a little far-fetched at times, right? And people may say, what is this, like Star Trek or something? And, and thus, our unbelieving world rejects this idea of temptation to evil on the soul level and will look out at the unspeakable pain and misery that our town is currently experiencing in this string of violence or like, any number of the sufferings uh, in our country or the world, and they'll say things like or think things like, what, what will fix this is education, right? We just need to throw some programs at it. If we, if we just educate people about gun violence and sex ed and economics, it, things will be better. And, and listen, there's obviously nothing wrong with education or learning things. Um, that's a good thing. The, the problem with that, however, is 
the issue when it comes to this is deeper than head knowledge. Like, do you ever find it interesting that over the history of the human race, hum, like, we as humans, we've improved in almost every single way. You know, we, life expectancies are up, healthcare is you know, better than it's ever been. And we have learned more, we know more than we've ever known. We have mastered, we've made advancements, we've made so many innovations in literally every industry and area of human existence. Except this. I mean, we can read the Bible and obviously compare it to today, culturally and technologically, it reads ancient. And it is. It was written a long time ago. And yet, we can read about the people's struggles with sin in the Bible and the problem of evil. And we conclude, like, it, could, it was like it was written this morning. It's like reading my email. I don't know about you, but, but that makes my spidey senses tingle just a little bit. You think about this, we have put a man on the moon. <laughs> we put a man on the moon, and yet we have not been able to put a dent in evil. Like We have mapped out the Degum human genome, and yet we, are, we have been unable to conquer one particle of hell on earth. Could it be that, something, that there's something afoot that we can't explain nor address just purely naturally? And, and now to the, the skeptic, like, I'm not saying that this is a foolproof uh, you know, for the existence of God, pr- foolproof argument. But I am saying that this is a pretty powerful apologetic to the fact that when it comes to moral behavior and when it comes to the existence of evil, there seems to be something else going on. And so, would you indulge me this morning just for a second? Because for 2,000 years, Christians, and then for thousands of years before that, God's people have had a very clear understanding of, of how do we address this and what's going on here. So Moses, writing under the inspiration of God, tells us that in the beginning, God created man, male and female, in his image. And it was so good. I mean, they, they literally lived in paradise on earth, Eden. But things didn't stay that way. The tempter came. And Adam and Eve fell into temptation, and with that sin, evil came into this world. And y'all know how it, the gospel is that you know, on the cross, Jesus took our sins on himself, and then he gave to us, he, he imputed, as the word, to us, his perfect righteousness. That, that's the, the gospel message. Well, just like that, when Adam fell as the first human, his sin was also imputed to us. That's how David, King David, could write... Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Before I even had a chance to blow it, I kind of already blew it. In other words, we aren't sinners because we sin sometimes. No, like we sin because we are sinners. We were born that way. And even if you don't believe that, even if you're not a believer or skeptic, even if you don't believe this concept of original sin, you've seen it. Even if you don't believe it, you've seen it. Just think of kids, right? And look, if you think that your kids are perfect all-stars, then think of somebody else's kids, okay? Or think of everybody else's kids but yours. Um, You know, think about it. We spend so much time, especially in the South, so much time and effort teaching etiquette and manners. And and I I know this may qualify as trauma today. I was telling Annie that growing up, my mom went through this phase where during every family meal, she awarded a toy pig to the messiest, most ill-mannered eater. 
And if you, if you got the pig, you had to eat your entire meal with that pig on display. It was this kind of shame culture type thing. And, and the goal of eating for my existence was just don't get the pig, okay? We will, spend, we will spend years in our children's ministry here, uh, like literally until they graduate high school, catechizing our kids, teaching our youth about the good and true and beautiful way of Jesus. We, we have to disciple that because doing so is swimming against the flow of our world. Because that's not what we learn, you know, when we're scrolling TikTok for the 10th hour of the day, right? Like, that's not what you learn in TikTok, nor the vast majority of the world outside of the church. And so it is against the flow. But think of this, and I think we know this, like, you don't have to buy a curriculum. We're going to get this program, kids, and every night we're going to sit down and we're going to spend 10 minutes a night talking about this. Like, you don't have to get a curriculum and spend 10 minutes every night teaching your kids how to be entitled little punks, right? That just kind of, it kind of happens, right? Uh, or, or how to be cruel to your classmates. Like we don't have to teach them how to be selfish or disrespectful to their teachers or how to lie. No, we don't have to disciple that at all because just as, as sure as sparks fly upward, as sinful humans living on this side of the fall, it's just what we do. It's not a learned behavior. Like it's our very nature. And since that's the case, Thus, it's, it's only in our nature being reborn, our, our dead hearts being made, made alive in Christ, that we could possibly stand against the flow of this fallen world. And maybe that's why a lot of people who claim to be Christians are nominal, Christian in name only, because they're dead, just floating, floating, floating. And so the gospel tells us that we who were once dead in our sin in Christ are now empowered to kill sin and to pursue holiness. And so it's within that context of the world, the flesh, the devil, that in Christ, Jesus is telling us that we can pray, Father, lead us not into temptation. All right, so what does that mean? Well, first, it's not what it kind of sounds like, because taking at surface level, this prayer seems to imply that God is the one who tempts us. And if we're praying, Lord, don't lead us, then maybe God is leading us to temptation. But that's not, he is not the instigator of our sin. And this is why we interpret Scripture with Scripture, because as Corley read this morning, in James we find, uh, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot tempt with evil, and God himself tempts no one. Okay, period. All right, so to maybe better understand this, the Greek word for temptation that word, the majority of the time it's translated as trial or as testing. And we do know that God does lead his people into testing and into trial. Not, not only are those the marks of being his, but it's in trials and tests that God actually makes us stronger. And now it doesn't feel like that. Because God takes his people all the time out into the wilderness so that all of our idols and things that we hold on to so dearly, more dearly than him, can be exposed for what they really are. And for them to die of exposure. I mean, even, even Jesus' first act of ministry, remember, was undergoing an intense time of testing, which that testing blossomed into temptation in the wilderness, all of which prepared him. And that's one of the ways the author of Hebrews could say, for it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. 
Okay. A philosopher, uh, Nassim Taleb, uh, wrote the book Anti-Fragile, uh, subtitle Things That Gain from Disorder. And his argument was this. He says, you know, many people think that the opposite of being uh, fragile is being resilient. He said, you know, it's, it's to not crumble under pressure. But he says that's not the case. He says the opposite of being fragile is actually being anti-fragile. Uh, it's not only not crumbling under pressure, but it's actually getting stronger under pressure. There's something about that pressure that, that grows you. And so the Bible teaches us that as Christians, we're not just resilient, but by grace, we're anti-fragile. You know, Christians are like that. I think we should this for the, um, the good version of the hydra from Greek mythology. If you remember the hydra. Remember it was that thing that if you chopped one of its heads off, like two or three more heads would just like pop out. Um, that's what it's like. I mean, literally every time the Romans killed a Christian, like 10 more Christians would pop up. They, they couldn't stop it. It got to the point that they were trying to figure out, okay, what do we do with the Apostle John? Because if we kill him, we're going to have, it's going to be insane. And so they said, thought that the best way that they could squelch Christianity was not by killing John, but by putting John somewhere where he couldn't talk to anybody. And so they exiled him on an island in the Aegean Sea called Patmos. And of course, God must love irony because it was on this obscure, removed island of Patmos where God gave John visions, remember? And it was here on that island that John recorded the greatest source of hope Christians could ever know in the book of Revelation, detailing our beautiful future. Okay, just as stress makes our bones strong, trials and testing make our souls strong. And yet, and here's where we differentiate, here is where Satan can come along into these trials and tests and he say, you know, I can work with this. I'm going to turn this test, I'm going to turn this trial into a temptation. And so, of course, to be tempted is not a sin, but temptation is where it can give rise to sin. And so God doesn't tempt us, we've established that. Uh, Satan tempts us. But even here we see that Satan, as powerful as he is, is still on a leash. I love this quote, uh, G.K. Chesterton once said, if a rhinoceros were to enter a restaurant, there'd be no denying that he would have great power in that restaurant. But he said, but I should be the first to rise and assure him that he had no authority whatsoever in that restaurant. <laughs> well, Satan is like that. As powerful as he may be, he has no authority. If we're in Christ, Satan can't force us to do anything. Which begs the question, why do we fall into temptation? Why do we sin? Well, we can't blame God. We found that. And well, apparently, since Satan can't force us to sin, we can't blame Satan. Uh, we can't say the devil made me do it. Which means our ability to shift the blame is, is being undermined substantially. What this means and what we find is as sobering as it is to hear, every time we've ever fallen into temptation, every time you have ever sinned, it's because in that moment, you, I, we wanted to. We wanted it. As Alistair Begg put it, every sin is an inside job. Um, which is a big problem, <laughs> because think of ourselves. So I, I'm a member of a Facebook group called the Reformed Pub. I've probably talked about it before. And usually it's just Reformed Baptists and Presbyterians arguing over baptism. That's about 90-something percent of what they talk about. 
But occasionally something helpful will come up, and someone asked on there recently, what do you think is America's top reigning idol today? What do you think the top idol in America is? And the overwhelming answer was the self. The self. Ourselves. You know, we want to be true to ourselves. It's us following our own desires. And, um, well, that's not so good, right? Since what did Corley Reed, James said that, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, which means whenever we're tempted, it is ultimately by the wicked allure of our own sinful desire. And so this prayer isn't God take away the trials, take away the tests, but it's God when, not if, but when Satan turns these trials into temptations, the world, the flesh, the devil, all that turns us into a temptation, may it not eat our lunch. It's God... When we're tempted, may it not overpower us. Lord, help us not to blow it. Give us strength and protection in these moments. And then, if we do fail, remind us of the gospel, please. And of course, you know, if we're truly praying this prayer, Lord, lead us not into temptation from the depths of our soul, then that's also going to rub off in our conduct, isn't it? And we, we can't pray, God, lead us not into temptation, and then we knowingly and willingly walk right into it. Um, it's like, I mean, do, do, do we actually want victory? Or just we just kind of say it? And so we'll prepare our retirement accounts, we'll prepare our homes not to get broken into, and we'll watch, I don't know about you, we'll watch like thousands of hours of YouTube videos trying to learn how to whatever, right? Whatever our latest thing we're into, to prepare for it. And yet, we will walk right out into the very belly of the beast which is seeking to devour us with no preparation. You know, for any college-age man who's a Christian and seeking to follow Christ in the God-given sexual ethic, you know, it's probably not a good idea to go to Bourbon Street during Mardi Gras, you know? I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying, like, it's a sin to go there, but, you, like, you're going to be tempted and look, that, that little thing about, I mean, and that could mean a million different things to each of us. You know, whatever it is, sin that seems to have our number, like, it's probably not a good idea to willingly put ourselves in the path of that, all the while praying for God to lead us not into temptation. Um, knowingly, willingly putting ourselves in the path of temptation. And so we pray this, and then by grace, we resist Satan by grace, knowing that at some point he will flee. As, again, as Corley read this morning, you know, resist, 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 because it's not going to be forever. Just like Satan fled Jesus in the, in the wilderness, he will also flee us, which brings us to the final reality of temptation. The reality is that if you are in Christ, you are never trapped. Uh, you are never stuck. You know, in The Hobbit... <laughs> The Lord of Rings, uh, Lord of the Rings, Gandalf, right, is this magical, arguably rings of power. We don't know yet, right? Um, Gandalf is this magical character. Um, in, in The Hobbit, you know, the dwarves and Bilbo, they're about to get eaten by trolls, they're about to get eaten by the goblins. Evil has their number, they're, they're totally stuck, like, they're, they're dead. They're totally stuck, nowhere to go. And then almost out of nowhere, at the 11th hour, Gandalf would show up to make a way of escape, saying things like, don't just stand there, fly, you fools, run, you fools, get out of here, make your escape. Well, Paul writes, 
God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, even there when you're like, I'm about to blow it. He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus too prayed that, right? He prayed for escape. He's like, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but, but as you will. And y'all, in that garden and on the cross, Jesus had no escape. But Jesus stayed so that by his staying, he could be your escape. So because Jesus stayed, sin can never ultimately have your number. Because Jesus stayed, we can claim the promise that Corley finished with this morning. I love it. He says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, what's God going to do? Will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Well, as we close, in 1779, sorry, 1779, John Newton, in, in thinking about this deal of trials and temptations, and we, we seek the Lord, and sometimes it just doesn't feel like we're getting anywhere. In meditating on that, he wrote a very famous poem that was turned into a song, and this is how I want to finish. John Newton said, I asked the Lord that I might grow, in faith and love and every grace might more of his salvation know, and seek more earnestly his face. T'was he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hoped that in some favored hour, at once he'd answer my request, and by his love constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart. And he let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand he seemed, intent to aggravate my woe. He crossed all the fair designs I schemed, humbled my heart, and laid me low. And here we are asking this, Lord, why? Why is this, I trembling cried? Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied. I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find thy all in me. Well, that's what it is to be a Christian, right? And sometimes it's to be broken uh, before we can be transformed. And so with that, let's pray together. Father, this morning, this week, remind us that as we wake up and go out into the world, we're also going out into a battle against real enemies. The fallen world, our fallen flesh, the devil want to undo us. And following those ways sets us at enmity with God. So Lord, remind us of the gospel this week. May the beauty of Jesus shine more brightly than the beauty of our sin. Because, oh, we want it. Uh, but Lord, change our wanter. Oh Lord, may we pursue holiness. Uh, may we claim this prayer. Lead us not to temptation, just seeking you for protection and deliverance in the midst of the trials and the testing and even the temptation. So Father, bring us to the place 
that we may find our all in you. Thank you for Jesus. And we ask this in his strong name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.